1: slash weight loss. Hello, this is the Red Box Politics Podcast. I'm Matt Shorty, bringing you the best of my Times Radio show Monday to Thursday uh, each month. Here on Times Radio, we've been convening a focus group. Uh, we hear a lot about how Danny Street are using focus groups, it's distinct from uh, polling. Uh, for the past couple of months, we've uh, just done it with swing voters, what they think about Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer, and that sort of thing. But With polls showing uh, growing support for Scottish independence, we thought we would test the mood in Scotland. So I'm joined uh, once again, as ever, uh, by James Johnson, uh, who uh, used to do this, uh, used to do exactly this for Theresa May in Downing Street.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So what we've done is we've recruited. Eight voters. They used to. They voted no in two thousand and fourteen um, up in Scotland, um, and, we, and they're now undecided. So we know from the polls that you know a lot of these no voters are now changing their minds. So we've gone in. We've looked at those who are now on the fence, and we've basically asked
1: them for their views. And it's well worth uh, sticking with this because um, it's uh, it's quite a, it's quite a ride. I think it's fair to say if you take any interest in the future of the union. So this is the Times Radio uh, Focus Group in association with Kext CNC. Before we get on to the actual issue of independence, of course, we tested what they thought of the main leaders. Let's kick off nice and gently with what they thought about Nicola Sturgeon.
3: I didn't like her before this, but she has totally changed me. I would say that she's um, very honest and straightforward. I, th- I feel when I'm when she's talking, it's if she's like one of us, or maybe just one of me. Um, I think she's definitely got Scotland to heart. I think she wants the best.
4: She's someone I would trust if she could drop the whole independence thing uh, and actually focus on everything else. I want to like her, but I've got a deep set feeling that I can't. <laughs> so and it all kind of stems from independence.
3: I feel like. I can trust her more just with the way that she's handled things, the way that she speaks at the briefings. I feel like it's not off a script, she's saying it as it is.
0: Yeah, I would say she's compassionate. Um, I think you can kind of, you get that from her when she's she's not just reading from a script, you know, she's she's talking about the, the impact it has on, on everybody. But I think she's also kind of came across almost not as an MP. I don't really look at her in that sort of respect anymore. Um, I think she's consistent, um, she's clear, and I uh, trust her. You know, you can relate to her more. Probably honest and transparent. I don't feel there's kind of... She's hiding it in phase. I think she's telling us the truth, and I probably feel I more trust a woman run the country now, more than I ever did.
5: Yeah, uh, trustworthy's been good at, at Like that one. Decisive, I think, too. You know, she hasn't really, you know, swung back and forth. You know, a decision's made, and she's sticking to it. I
3: think before, when she was first
4: in place as first minister I used to think she was really frumpy and which I did she opened a nursery that I had and I I didn't really think over um, like me and my friends but I do find that she's very respectful I think of people, respectful of opinions but I think she makes a decision going with advice and
0: makes it very clear and I, I just think I have a lot of respect for her now
1: so that's sort of introducing the uh, eight characters uh, who are on this focus group, James. We should point out, obviously, because of this theory of COVID, you do it all virtually on uh, on Zoom. Um, and they're a mixture, you know, some in the private sector, some in the public sector, uh, a mixture of jobs and backgrounds. And the idea is to just to sort of get a flavour of what they think. I mean, Nicola Sturgeon listening to that will be absolutely thrilled, actually. People who voted against independence not all of them, but most of them, giving them a big thumbs up.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's the really key thing here. These aren't voters who've always loved Nicola Sturgeon. Um, they're not people who voted yes, they voted no in the past, and they're really positive. And it's really largely informed by Nicola Sturgeon's response to COVID. And you heard it there, you know, they talk about the consistency and the comms, um, the clarity. Uh, some of the others, the things they said, you know, was that they really like the fact that she's continued the daily briefings, and also that she's always fronting up the daily briefings. And they compare that quite unfavourably um, to to the uh, to the uh, you know English English side of things where they saw sort of different faces popping up at different times and you know when we when we do these focus groups we really listen out for how they talk about uh, uh, their leaders and it's not just competence it's also values and you know they are talking this you know one gentleman there said you know she doesn't really come across like a normal MP I trust her she looks out for Scotland it's those sort of more value laden judgments which actually count much more for a politician than just oh
1: they're quite good at the job they also like her and trust her as well and that's quite rare in politics. So if that's the this sort of positive side of the coin for Nicola Sturgeon, I think it's fair to say the other side of the coin for Boris Johnson is less good. This is what they had to say about the Prime Minister.
3: Lunatic. A buffoon,
1: Mad.
0: Unconvincing. Untrustworthy. Bumbling. What,
3: a biffin? I don't think he's in touch with the people. He's just an
4: absolute snob. A definite disconnect,
0: I think, from real people
4: to what Boris Johnson sees.
3: I never really liked him before, but I never really knew anything about him before. Now, I don't understand how he's a politician, because I think he's absolutely messing the country up with what's happened with coronavirus. I would hate to be living down in England with him leading, leading, because I think he just does his own thing. And I think we're following more rules up here. I think down in England, they just don't know what they're doing. So that's why people are breaking the rules. I don't trust him. I, I don't trust anything that comes out of his mouth. He's not, He's more interested in the rich rather than the working class. Um, I think he's made a fool of himself down, down there. One amount. of my
5: work colleagues, Kirsty, just backing up what you're saying about the untrustfulness, even before coronavirus, one of the big facts somebody had said to me was he, he won't even tell the truth about how many children his father. You mm-hmm. know, this is a man that's Prime Minister, that, and he's in denial that he's... He's, I don't know whether it's five or six, but there's one out there that he's point blank refusing to, to admit to. This is the Prime Minister.
0: Yeah, I would totally agree with Gordon there, about the, the children thing. I think if you're going to sort of look into someone, you look into their family family values, and I think he's had about five mistresses or wives, and I've heard as many as eight kids. So that's, where do you go with that? That's, I mean, that's just a mess.
1: If you like what you're hearing, you can listen to the whole of my Times Radio show. Either listen back on the Times Radio app, or you can listen live Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. We'll have more on the episode after this. It's that time of the year.
0: Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves,
1: feel the warm breeze, relax,
0: and think about
1: work I mean, it is just a mess. We should point out, we don't know how many um, mistresses or indeed children the Prime Minister has, but the fact that this is high in their minds, and like you said, it speaks to uh, their values. I thought one of the most uh, striking things was uh, the woman who said, I wouldn't want to be in England right now. And it does seem like this is sort of double whammy almost, that Nicola Sturgeon, in their eyes, has done a good job of coronavirus. She's also spent a lot of time telling people in Scotland what a terrible job Boris Johnson's been making of it. Yeah, and
2: that and has, that. you know, from a comms perspective, been a been a real success. You're absolutely right. These voters they actually felt sorry for the English, um, because we have Boris Johnson, and they feel that the comms on uh, on COVID is much less clear. So it was coronavirus, but there was something else going on. There is clearly a more there's clearly clearly a residual uh, negative feeling about Boris Johnson that's been there before as well. You know, referring to trust, referring to uh, as you say, you know, his private life, and also you know this general view that perhaps he's a bit more of a uh, uh, an out of touch Tory um, uh, that. Than other other previous previous leaders, it's hard to avoid this conclusion, uh, as as you say, that you know they look at Nicola Sturgeon and that's made them feel a bit better about the prospect of independence because they think she's done a good job, and they look at Boris Johnson and the UK government, and that also makes them more pro independence because they've done a bad job, and those two things together, it's very hard to avoid the conclusion that you know this current government under Boris Johnson uh, is is boosting uh, uh, rather than
1: averting the uh, risk of Scottish independence. So as a reminder, this is a focus group with eight people who voted no to independence in 2014 and told the researchers when they were putting the panel together that they were undecided on the issue. So, in the focus group, James asked them, how would they vote in an independence referendum now?
3: I would vote yes, just because I believe them more now, whereas before I didn't. I I believe what they're saying. And I just think, that, as a nation, that we could we could do it on our own. And I, I just I believe more, and I'm not really a politician fan, but I believe more because of what's what's happening at the moment that we'd be able to do.
0: It. I'd take a gamble and I'd put my trust in her. She's been honest to this point. I'm still on the fence, but if you're if you're forced to make a decision, I would I would I would go and make my vote yes. 100 percent yes, due to all the lies. And I, I was worried before that we'd be able to sustain stuff in Scotland, but I'm not worried anymore And I've looked into it how much tax Scotland brings in for the UK government and stuff. Um, I'm more worried about England if Scotland leave. I would would vote a yes. I've just got a lot more confidence in the SNP and and I trust Nicola to kind of lead the party that way based on the way
5: everything that's happened with COVID. Yeah, I think I said earlier on 100% yes and because I want my children to grow up in a country where the government they vote for is a government, or the people of Scotland vote for, is a government the people of Scotland get. I would probably still
4: say no, for the main reason being, as I've said before, about that kind of economic factor. Uh, I mean, I don't know what sort of, and again, at the probably time, if they did come into independence, by the time it, it would all happen, I'd probably well into my fifties, maybe. But at this moment in time, I couldn't hand in heart say that I totally agree with every point. So I'd probably still say no at this point. I
3: would say yes, with Nicholas Sturgeon fronting it. I would say yes, so that we have a in what happens in our country. And I think having the independent country is the only way to do
1: that. So out of the eight, sort of six or seven definite yeses, one sort of wavering no, but probably persuadable in the long term, Joes.
2: Yeah, it's a real, uh, you know, it's a real finding there. You know, it's not just people who are saying yeah, I might vote yes. A lot of those people are actually quite firm in their decision. And you know, we also tested a range of messages, a range of the sort of you know the arguments the No campaign uh, might make. And you know, those arguments are much weaker than they were in 2014 because they've had this impression now over the last few months that actually the SNP can run Scotland. And you know, SNP and independence, those two things are almost synonymous in in the views of these voters um, because they know that the SNP is probably going to be you know who's running. the country in independent Scotland. And they feel like that is is much less of a risk now. I mean, when I was uh, doing the polling uh, back in 2017, we we did a lot of work up in Scotland. um, uh, And uh, one of the arguments that worked really well for the No campaign was, well, you know, let's not reopen the independence debate because, you know, we should prioritise public services instead. And lots of people, you know, then were nodding and saying that that sounded right. Now, when we tested that in this focus group this week, um, they actually say, well, the last few months has proven that the Scottish government can handle public services much. Better than the UK government. So, you know, that, that harms it as well. I suppose the only thing I would say is that, um, you know, what they are making their conclusions on independence very much based on the current moment and coronavirus, and as we saw, the roles of Boris Johnson and Nicola Sturgeon. There wasn't much mention of Brexit and there wasn't much mention of a sort of structural change of mind. So you could see a situation where potentially with new leaders, a new setting, you know, if things go wrong for Nicola Sturgeon, you could see that declining again. So it's a finely balanced thing, but at the moment,
1: they're pretty much in yes territory. We talked a lot, or you talked a lot to them about what was the driving sort of factors behind uh, their change of mind. Partly it was Nicola Sturgeon, partly it was coronavirus and all of that. But let's just listen to um, one chap in particular. He's a slightly colourful uh, reason, uh, the driving factor behind why he ch- changes mind.
4: Uh, I, I, I and I think it comes back to that kind of whole trust issue. I think Ruth Davidson pre-COVID, uh, we didn't have probably. Boris in the, the kind of forefront as much. So I'd probably be more leaning towards trusting someone like her, again, because of her stance on independence. I think certainly now with her not there, having seen the, excuse my friend, from Boris, uh, and I certainly with Nicola Sturgeon kind of stepping up to the plate, speaking for Scotland, being clear, being concise, seeming more like, a, to my view, someone that I could probably get to like as a politician. Uh, so I think that that is where I'm kind of starting to sway uh, within that that view.
1: Now, James, how difficult is it once uh, voters have opened their mind to someone or something to sort of get the genie back in the ball again? Because obviously uh, there were a lot of people who would never have countenanced supporting independence and basically their view that Nicholas Sturgeon's handled uh, coronavirus quite well has sort of opened their mind to the possibility. You know, as the, they said right at the very beginning, they didn't used to like at the beginning. They used to think she was a, you know, used to wind her up. And now it's, you know, she's opened the door again. It's really difficult, isn't it, to, sh- to shut that door again afterwards? It is.
2: I think, I think you know, where that might not be the case is if, you know, something really, you know, damaging did happen or, you know, there was a major problem on her watch. Um, a few people did mention the Alex Salmon trial, so, you know, we that may well have an impact but yeah you know this is going to be difficult difficult territory um for the uh for the uk government and for you know the people on the no side because there is this positive view of Nicola sturgeon now and as you say it's quite hard to remove and they don't necessarily feel like there is a strong figure on the on the no side um who who they like and who's making the arguments they want to hear
1: and uh, it was striking actually that, that one of the, i think it was one of the men in the group talked about how they like Nicola sturgeon but they weren't quite sure about some of the rest of the SNP. I think they said they need to be normalized or something that they still have nervous nervousness about. Uh, about that, let's get to down sort of the nuts and bolts of it. Then in the in the in the independence campaign uh, in twenty fourteen, there were lots of sort of uh, practical, uh, you know, it was a head versus heart thing. The no campaign was all about head. How's this going to work uh, in practice? Uh, and the yes campaign there was a lot of heart and patriotism and Scottishness. What A big testing point was the currency and what currency Scotland would use if it went independent, uh, which they seemed remarkably unconcerned by. We're
0: going to have a currency soon. It's pretty much going to all be virtual, isn't it?
1: Can't see us not having a currency. I mean, I
4: know they're talking about having, whether it be British Pound or making another currency. You can't kind of tell me for a second that we can't have the pound again. And I think that's probably come back to what Paul
0: says. It's probably medialized. I would say that I I wouldn't mind going to Euro now because of the fact that Ireland's went the Euro route and you know things are a bit more expensive but they're earning more money so we could also as um, Alan says we could keep the pound um, as well there's no reason we can't keep the pound you know Um, but I think we could stand on our own two feet because of the oil so I'd be more worried about England than what would be about Scotland surviving because they talk about these trade deals with Europe, but what is it they're selling them?
1: Uh, Somebody's uh, just messaged in, this Scottish independence focus group on Times Radio is a horror show for union fans. Well, I think you probably would think that listening to that. I mean,
2: I would make one 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 point. Of course, is that you know at the moment these arguments aren't necessarily being made. Um, so it was interesting in the focus group. A lot of a few people did speak about um, well, we'll be able to rejoin the EU, um, and you know, or we'll just join the euro. Now, obviously, I'm sure that the No campaign and the UK government have quite a lot to say about that and the difficulties of that. And indeed, you know, there may well be you know some real uh, some real difficulties in doing that for Scotland. So you know, we are existing in this world where those arguments. Aren't on the table but certainly the default is that these are not resonating in the same way and there's also that concern about uh about what they view as perhaps lies or hype um the sort of project fear argument which i think was very clear immediately after 2014 and then was felt even further by the 2016 referendum as well so there's also that climate
1: of well who do we trust who do we listen to and who do we don't who do we not uh, there was also obviously back in 2014 a big moment in the referendum campaign was when the queen passed comment she urged, I think, speaking of some well wishes outside church. She urged Scots to to think very carefully about their future or something. This was seen as a signal from the Queen that she wanted Scotland to stay uh, within the Union. Um, you asked them about the Queen and you know her role either in a future independent Scotland or just you know what did they think of the Queen? And this is what they had to say:
3: great for the economy. Don't know if it's quite great for Scotland. But... I have to say I I did like the royal family, but I am changing just with I feel there's. So much going on with them just now. They don't really bother me, to me. Yeah, they're good for the economy. Everybody always wants to come across to Britain to go and visit where the Queen stays. But there's a lot of things that I don't trust about the royal family.
2: Would you like, if, if Scotland were to become independent, would you like the Queen to still be the head of state or, or not?
3: I don't know how she could be if we would be independent.
1: I mean, if even the Queen can't uh, sway people who voted Uh, no last time round. I mean, you're losing head and heart. You know, they're not bothered about the currency. Uh, because, you know, they think that can be explained away. That's the sort of a head argument, and the heart patriotism argument, the Queen and country and all that, doesn't work either. Well, I think this is a really important point about how these
2: no voters, former no voters, actually approach this debate. They're not coming at it from a sort of emotional, patriotic point of view. Those arguments, and I know there was a bit of briefing, I think, at the start of this year, that those were the arguments number 10 were potentially looking at, you know, sort of talking up the union, talking up the UK and our role in the world together. Actually, this seems to suggest that those things don't really work. They're quite hard-headed, quite practical. Even when talking about the Queen there, you know, they were talking about the impact on the economy. Um, But I imagine that's going to be the best way for the No campaign to try and persuade these voters, actually really talking about the pragmatic and and the harder edge of it, rather than sort of, you know, talking about a union and a great Britain,
1: a United Kingdom, that actually these voters don't really much care about. Yeah, and in fact, we tested that as well, asking did they feel Scottish or British?
0: Yeah,
2: I would say Scottish. I've always felt Scottish, even though I voted no. Would anyone have said British a few years ago?
5: Yeah, Um, I would have, I I, I served in the army for 14 years. So yeah, that was the first thing. I was probably British, Scottish. I know I'm Scottish, British. And then probably in the fullness of time, just Scottish.
3: Uh, I, I would classify myself as British mainly because my dad's father, was English, so we spent a lot of time down there as kids. So I always just see myself as being part of Britain, instead of being part of Scotland. Well, only Scotland. Although I would still say I'm Scottish, Scottish-British. Like, yeah. I always said I'm Scottish. Somebody said to me, are you British? I go, no, I'm Scottish, because that's, that's where I was born, that's when I was brought up.
1: It's amazing, the, the, the sort of shift that, that politics is having on their the, their sort of self-identity
2: yeah absolutely and uh you know you certainly see this it, again it comes back to that coronavirus response you know and that and that sense of you know feeling slightly more sorry for the english it's actually sort of shored up scottishness because they feel like they've done quite a good job and their leaders being clear and you know
1: england and the rest of the uk hasn't and it, the, just the psych the way the psychology is flipped from england being the big dominant partner in scotland being the sort of the one that relies on London and all of that, So now Scotland is the one that knows what it's doing, can stand on its own two feet, and we feel sorry for the English down there with the buffoon, as they call him, uh, in charge. Um, not everyone got a bad press, it has to be said. There is, as ever with these focus groups, one name that everyone agreed they quite liked. Our low scheme, Rishi Sunak, I
4: think it's his name. I think when that came out, I think a lot of my friends and close associates were delighted. So I think having something like that, I think with a guy like Rishi, who came across pretty well, I think done the Conservatives great. I think some of the other guys behind him have made an absolute mess as well. I think Matt Hancock comes across again, another bumbling idiot. I think Dominic Rabb comes across as angry. Uh, I don't know anyone else within the Conservative Party, but certainly Rishi seems to have come across pretty well.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing that comes up again and again, isn't it, James? With these things, uh, Rishi Sunak still popular. He's up in the House of Commons in just over an hour's time. Yeah, and this is really important because the real thing now for the pro union no side will be well, who are our
2: best messengers in in Scotland? Because clearly it's not Boris Johnson, right? But you know from this focus group, so Rishi Sunak is is obviously is obviously that. Lots of uh, positive uh, noises still about Ruth Davidson. Um, a lot of these voters in this focus group really sort of liked her. They sort of said she wasn't a traditional Tory, so perhaps they'd be looking at more of a voice for her. The real struggle for the Unionist side is that a lot of people just didn't really notice them. So very little cut through about who Douglas Ross was, the current leader of the Scottish Conservatives. And Richard Leonard, you know, he's got a lot of criticism as, as the head of Scottish Labour, uh, you know, within the Scottish
1: Labour Party. People didn't have negative views of him. They just didn't know who he was. who he was. And on, on Scottish Labour altogether, they had quite a sort of sophisticated understanding of the fact that Scotland used to be run by Labour. It was all Labour. They took them for granted. Uh, and then they wavered on the question of independence, and I think one of them said, uh, "Why didn't they go in for independence as a you know?" And they would have, they could have been the ones running Scotland as an independent Scottish Labour, and they just hadn't, uh, they hadn't done that um, on the question. But it's not all SNP uh, uh, politicians who've got a good, a good writer, as we said. You asked about one of them. And, A man called Ian Black got a very good positive review, even though, of course, his name is Ian Blackford, but they did decide he'd done quite well. Um, If you were in Downing Street right now, and they're listening to this, and they're probably doing their own focus groups on exactly this issue, getting the same message, what would your advice be of how could you save the union, apart from just never, ever have another independence referendum?
2: Yeah, so I think the the ideal advice would be, uh, you know, you probably want Rishi Sunak and Ruth Davidson fronting something up. Um, look, uh, the, probably the key thing is stay away from those more emotional, patriotic messages. You know, that's clearly not where these former no voters are. Uh, there is room on, there is still room on the economy. And a couple of those people did still clearly have a bit of a worry about jobs and so on. But that obviously needs to take a careful tone. Um, EU membership, I think that's going to be a really important thing, you know, trying to sort of get that message out there that actually there will be consequences. It's not going to be easy as it looks. I think just generally, you know, trying to warn about the uh, the impact and the consequences without sort of sounding like you're doom mongering and fear mongering. So you know, making it more about, well, you know, Nicola Sturgeon, and the SNP, you know, perhaps they aren't telling you the full the full picture. And finally, the other thing that came through was that there is clearly this concern about having another divisive independence referendum. And there is this feeling of, you know, it's going to tear our politics apart, it's going to be, you know, it's going to... And at the moment, that is clearly not enough to persuade these voters that that, that that they don't want to have it. But there is that fear of, you know, what, what will this do to our families, social media, you know, my friends? Um, so those would be the key things I'd say number 10 need to focus
1: on. It was interesting when you asked them, when do you think Scotland will go independent? They all sort of settled on, and this is obviously because they're in a group, so they do, you know, they're slightly influenced by other people say they all sort of settled on 2024 as being 10 years since the last one, uh, since the last uh, referendum. Some, I think one of them said, you know, they talked about it being a once-in-a-generation thing. 10 years, is, you know, sort of fits that. So it's sort of interesting. They weren't they weren't sort of chomping at the bit to get on and do it now. They wanted to get Brexit out of the way, wanted to get coronavirus out of the way, but they thought that that was the re- direction uh, that they were heading. Uh, just before I let you go, we should point out, it wasn't, you, you basically tried really hard to get them to say something negative about, you know, but first of all, positive about Boris Johnson and a bit. You basically didn't get anything. Trying to find some negatives about Nicola Sturgeon, and this is the best they could come up with.
3: Maybe she should change her dress sense and get her hair changed or something. She has, she has much more than she must be. Her hair used to be perfect through lockdown. I was wondering who was doing her hair. I don't have any negative about her just now.
2: Paul, I can see you on the brink of saying something, or or, or were you coming on the dress sense?
0: I know it was a style thing. I I don't think she's got any style. I think she (laughs) just is all done what she should. Her hairdo as well as like the crankies. She could sort that out. But apart from that, she's she's a great person, I think. It's, it's really what's inside that counts. But you think somebody would come on you know, get a wee bit of fashion advice, maybe.
1: I mean, that's it. That's literally all you managed to get out of them was, I mean, who knows? I mean, support from independence would be up to 80% if she got a new haircut.
2: Maybe it just reminds me of when I was uh, doing the polling at Number 10 and uh, I didn't usually feed back to the Prime Minister what they said about uh, dress and <laughs> hair scent. So I think you're probably in a pretty good place if that's the only major concern people have.
1: Uh, well, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, loads of messages have come in about uh, about the uh, focus group. Uh, thanks to James uh, Johnson uh, and Keck CNC for making that happen. Um, like I say, it is a proper focus group, how it's done by political parties. You know, We don't know who's going to be uh, on the panel they're just normal people uh, who just tell us what they think about politics and it's a fascinating insight into what's really going on uh, in people's minds and, and the future of the union. We'll convene the Times Radio focus group again uh, next month. My thanks to James Johnson uh, for joining us. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box podcast. Uh, you can now listen back to my whole show on the Times Radio app where you can also now listen to all of the Times podcasts, including Red Box 2. Make sure you subscribe and review at the red box podcast wherever you listen. But for now, for me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. Music